Welcome to Parenting Well Podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I am Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you are listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising healthy, happy kids is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information tools and strategies. So let's fill that well. Today's well source is Brooks Witter. Brooks is a licensed professional counselor who has served countless parents who are both experiencing challenging times with their children and struggling to take care of themselves in the process. Having helped create and run a premier treatment program for struggling young adults, Brooks has the skills required to help parents recover the confidence, clarity, and the wisdom needed to guide kids towards successful launch into young adulthood. As a therapist, supervisor, coach, clinical director, and parent himself, Brooks looks to core values of courage, compassion, and clarity as guideposts to measure his activities. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks, Shelley. I'm really happy to be here with you. So people often say that being a parent is the hardest job you will ever have. And with your vast experience, what do you think makes parenting so challenging? Boy, there's... I think there's so many ways that we could answer that question, and I think that it speaks to how challenging the role is because there are so many different levels to it. First and foremost, my thinking is that you know we're we are hardwired for connection and for care, and mm-hmm. with the little ones, you know, just we are evolutionary prone to just care a lot and to invest a lot to make sure that this kid has all that they need to to thrive in the world, and. When we care so deeply, we open ourselves up to a lot of vulnerability mm-hmm. that we're going to get hurt. We're going to we're going to worry about this being that we care for. You know, when they're so vulnerable, you know, we worry about, you know, are they still alive when they're sleeping? You know, that <laughs> that newborn, you take the newborn home and they finally sleep and you worry about that. And then as they sort of start to walk, you worry about, oh my gosh, are they going to hit their head? And as they get further and further out and take more and more of their life by themselves, we still worry. We still have the same concerns about their well-being and their their happiness, their safety. And the challenge is that as they get more autonomous, we have less control and the safety is more and more in their hands. And if we haven't updated our records about these kiddos and we still think of them as just this little bright, innocent kid, and yet now they're driving the cars and they're making decisions, some of which are really bad, and some of which are really creative and mind-boggling. If we don't update our sense of who this kid is and keep growing with them, we can have a lot of fear and anxiety about their well-being and then seek to seek to take care of them in ways that they no longer feel they need to be taken care of in that way. And therein lies a lot of tension and struggle where the parents are well-meaning and well-intended and the kids are doing their developmental thing of trying to break free and do on their own and do for themselves and you have basically in there kind of a, a classic archetype of, of challenge. I always think parenting is a mix of emotions. You know, you're happy, you're scared, you're sad, you're fearful, you're anxious, you're excited for them. All the things come with mm-hmm. being a parent. Yeah, I think that's really right at the heart of it is that why is parenting so challenging? 
because it's so emotional. We have so many emotions. And I do not see our society well designed to learn how to deal with our emotions in ways that are really effective and flexible. So there's a lot of uncertainty and fear that comes up when we are emotional. How to talk about it, how to deal with them. Um, When we have an impulse that we lash out at our kids and we're totally not the person that we'd want to be because we're scared or we're triggered or we're just exhausted and the kid still needs us and we just have nothing to give and we just push. We find ourselves being people that we wouldn't choose to be in part because our fears and also because it takes a lot of resources to parent. Resources of time, energy, care that we don't always have. That we need to find ways to recharge ourselves. We're human. You know, so, so the emotions are a huge piece. And then you throw on top of that current modern issues. Sort of competitive parenting in a way, right? Where not necessarily um, intentional, but just the, the Facebook curation of home life and family life can create a sense of distress that, my gosh, my family doesn't look like all these pictures that I see up on online, on social media. And there's a sense of like, maybe at the school pickup, oh, how are things going? It can be really vulnerable to speak honestly. And I think it's getting harder and harder in our society to have those moments where we do see into challenges of our contemporaries, our peers that they're having, mm. where we're getting really honest with each other. That the sort of, um, just the way that our society is set up seems to have less forums for that. Where it's, there used to be extended family around, maybe people were staying in one town longer or one neighborhood longer, so those ties were, were open. But now there's, there's a bit more nicety in yeah. a way, which one of the things we focus on at Penn actually is kind of trying to remove that posturing and normalize things and put parents in a room together when it's possible where they can hear that they're not the only person going through what they're going through and feel like they have other people around them that can support them in that. Mm -hmm. That's so important because there is no manual for this. Right. Right. Wouldn't that be great? And every kid is different too. Right? There's some basic principles that we can use, but really when it comes down to it, you you got to parent each kid. Yeah, when you were talking about the emotions, it made me think about Steinberg. He does a lot of research on how we tend to be somewhere in our like 40-ishes when our kids are teenagers or becoming teenagers, and we're going through our own developmental things mm-hmm. emotionally, like our bodies are changing, our lives are changing, we're working hard, and then our kids are going through their developmental stages and mm-hmm. they totally clash. Mm-hmm. And when we're all wrapped up in what we're feeling, we can't necessarily always step into how our kids are feeling. Oh, totally. Yeah. That ability to take perspective and get out of oneself to kind of hold this bigger view, that, that takes a lot of patience, um, perspective, takes a lot of basic emotional regulation on the parent's part to do that. And if we're under stress, if we're tired, if we're coming in from a difficult conversation with our partner or our boss or what have you, then our children come up and, and they have some need, but they may not know how to express that need in the most <laughs> pro-social way. <laughs> you know, we can be we can be pretty activated and then we're so comfortable because they're around us so much. They're just there, right? We can take that for granted and take the relationship for granted and just, oh, why are you always coming at me? Like, or, or just act out in some way. And that's fine. Uh, we, like, we need to be human also. 
You know, I, what I love is Winnicott's good enough parenting that basically responding to about 80% of the needs with some level of appropriateness is good enough. And the 20% where we miss the needs is actually really important too. That 20% where we get to be our human selves and we drop the ball and we lash out or we treat our kids in some ways that we don't want to. That 20% also builds resilience and it's important to do repair. It's important to come back to the relationship, you know, particularly if it was a big slight, but we get to be human. If we if we think that there's this perfect parent that where our kids are never hurt by us and they never get disappointed and all that, like we are in for a world of hurt ourselves yeah. to try to live up to that. Yeah, and I love what you said because it also teaches our children that they are not perfect either and they're going to make mistakes and we can model for them how to say sorry how to repair the relationship like you said and show them that yeah we're human we, we make mistakes you're human you're going to make mistakes the important thing is is that we come back together and we talk about it exactly I mean that repair is huge it reminds me of a um, metaphor and maxim that where we get strong is where we do the repair kind of like breaking down muscles and it's the repair that makes it stronger the test of a, a relationship strength is not so much about do we never hurt each other but are we able to come back and actually build a bond back that signals that there's even more trust, that we can go into hard places and we can have conflict and we can hurt each other, trusting that there's so much care that if it happens, that the person will come back and that there's there's humility enough and that there's respect enough to take accountability mm-hmm. on both sides. That's a great analogy. What do you feel like is a common reason that people reach out to you? Parents don't call me on their good days. When I get calls from parents, Oftentimes, they're looking for help for their kid, and they're scared. Parents are typically uncertain. They've tried what they know how to do, and they're seeing that the behavior that their kids are engaging in that's problematic or scary or just is misunderstood or they just don't quite understand how is this helpful, that that behavior is persisting or it's even getting worse. And they really care about the kid, and they want the kid to do well and to thrive. And if they're contacting me for coaching support, typically, that kid is already in treatment in some form or another, or they're unwilling to go to treatment. And the work is really about helping the parents relax and discover in themselves the resources that they can bring forward to connect and to better understand what's happening so that they can relate to the situation with more flexibility and more attunement to what's actually happening. So a lot of times parents come to me and they're presenting an issue that they're framing as a discipline problem. And so often what it turns out to be is that the, the frame needs to change. That it's not so much a discipline problem, it's often a connection problem. It's often an attunement problem. It's, it's a problem where the kid isn't able to regulate their emotional landscape, their emotional body. And so they're turning to other behaviors or substances to help them shift how they feel. And so much of what's problematic for our feeling is to feel isolated, alone, disconnected. And there's so much of that in our world today, so much disconnection that at a felt level that it's rampant. You know, we see this in the rates of childhood anxiety mm-hmm. skyrocketing. I mean, this is an epidemic. And then if you have high rates of anxiety, if that's not addressed at that level of the emotional regulation, we're going to start to see the kids learning how to regulate those emotions through very short-term fixes, through substance abuse, through some antisocial behavior, through cutting, through acting out online, through bullying. 
any number of ways to basically shift out of some core feeling that is telling the kid that they're just not okay. So if I am a parent and I call you and I say, you know, my, I know that my, my son is using drugs and I'm scared for him. What do I do? How can you help me? I'm hearing you would start with helping them recognize their own strengths and also help them to look at what other things are going on in your child's life that could be contributing to mm-hmm. this behavior. Yeah, in the in the bigger picture, that's it. I want to start first, though, with a basic assessment of safety, particularly with substances where um, kid stability and health can go downhill rapidly with some choices that could be made. A helpful uh, piece of the context is I work primarily with parents of of teens and young adults. So this is not for littles so much, but the advice that I'm giving is that I'm really talking parents through a process of really, as you're preparing your kid through the teen years towards adult launch, they need to learn how to steer their own life. And so with parents, I want to help them learn how to fuel more and steer less. And so the times when the parents can really steer, because we want to limit that, when the times that they can steer is when the kids are really engaging in behaviors that are threatening their safety and stability. And so if that's happening, then the parental role is to, to protect safety fiercely. And that might be to really intervene in ways that that limit um, access or that provide a really safe environment for the kid to to get clean. If that's that ha- if that's happening at that level, that's very much appropriate response. When we're talking about kids who are experimenting because adolescence is a time of experimentation. And so we as parents need to be we need to be prepared <laughs> that our kids are going to make some bad decisions and they're going to test the the waters beyond maybe the the boundaries of what we as parents set for them. And a lot of that testing is very normal and it's actually a necessary part of kind of a healthy rebellion for adolescents as they seek out their own identity, which is going to be unique to them. There's something that they're, they're turning more towards their peer group and trying to figure out who they are outside of this member of this one family unit. With that kind of experimentation, we want to make sure that as parents, we're maintaining a relationship with them that fosters uh, trust, respect, uh, and connection, ultimately, that we accept this kid as they are, even if they're making some choices that may be unacceptable. Um, And then this is getting to other issues here with sort of boundaries. My view is at the core, we want to help our kids feel connected and safe in the world. They have a place that they belong. Where else should that sense of belonging begin but in the home? Where else should you feel most safe but in your home? And it's unfortunate that our relationships between parent and kids can become so strained that when when we sort of look at each other, we don't necessarily see a safe person. We might see somebody who's who's kind of testing us or somebody who may even be like a, a, a tormentor to us. And not to say that every encounter is going to be calm and, and full of warmth, but more often than not, we need to work as parents to provide that sense of safe base, safe territory, that when our kids come to come home, they can feel like they can be themselves, and that's acceptable. Sometimes I think that's why they 
get angsty or act out in certain ways is because they are home and they can do that mm-hmm. where they're trying very hard to show up in the world as responsible or you know grow up totally. home is where you can be that way <coughs> just to get um, concrete with our listeners I think it can be challenging to show up in that way when you are dealing with something really difficult we do a lot of talk about prevention and having that groundwork where you already have that relationship and that trust and that mutual respect mm-hmm. but sometimes you haven't built that intentionally mm-hmm. and then you end up in a situation where you're now dealing with kind of a hard issue with your child and it's not a natural thing to mm-hmm. speak that way so I'm just wondering for a parent who's really challenged by we just don't get along with each other we're butting heads all the time I don't know how to talk to my kid what would you say so I'd be curious about what resources are already in place and if it's if it's really home issues and this you know safety and stability concerns are addressed so it's not you know we found opiates in his backpack and things like that then I'd be really coaching this parent to develop the relationship to work with first carving out one-to-one time with the kid and this is a very a very concrete so I heard you say let's get concrete yeah so one-to-one time is intentional time that's blocked out to spend one-on-one with your kid where the parent is engaging with curiosity, care at the front. And so there's a restriction. There's very clear restrictions on um, no leading questions, no sort of, no questions of an interrogational nature, really focusing on reflecting what you're seeing the kid doing, reflecting positive attributes and positive impact that you can sort of uh, bring forward about the kid. So you're really working to kind of come back to that place where you can see your kid through that positive lens and share that generously. And if that's super hard, we start with, ideally, it's 15 minutes, four or five times a week. Build that in. And maybe it's a, maybe it's a drive to school, and that's where it starts. But to work with a parent to be very clear with their communication patterns so that they can let the kid take the lead in conversations so that you can build up a basic capacity to, to have more uh, back-and-forth communication and to let the kid know at a basic level that I still care about you. Like, I care about you as you are and what you're interested in because what can happen is particularly as... our kids age we spend less time with them because they're spending more time out of the house at school and with friends after school activities Um, so we spend less time with them then the time that we do spend becomes sort of more weighted and so as a parent when you're seeing your kid and there's some things that really annoy you or whatnot or that are really problematic the time that you do spend you're likely going to be trying to teach or instruct or guide and so then if that's an hour a week, that's now maybe 70% of your inter- interactions with your kid are now coming from a, a dynamic where you're trying to control, influence, and adjust your kid's behavior. And that can send a message and be received by the kid that I'm just not accepted as I am because the bulk of the interactions I'm having with my parents is they're trying to change me. That's the experience course it's going to lead to a lot of conflict and a lot of challenge and tension so to build in time that is very explicit explicitly designed to let the kid come forward and to to practice as a parent open caring non-judgmental stance that's important and if that's difficult then boy that's even more necessary because that's that's a diagnostic about how the parent has sort of drifted into a role that may be very very reasonable of course you want to you want to 
and help grow and, and influence your kid. But if more and more attempts at that influence are being met with resistance and conflict, then we have to question the strategy. And we have to question if that resource, if the resources are sufficient to actually have the kind of influence that you would want as a parent. I think it can feel like it's too late when your kids get older, but it's not really ever too late no. to start saying, let's spend time together. I care about you. I want to learn about you. I'm curious about what your interests are. Oh my gosh. Think, you know, I want that. <laughs> like, just, yeah. You saying that, I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Oh my gosh. Yeah, let's talk. Right? Yeah. Who doesn't want that? Yeah. Who doesn't want to, to, to be received with curiosity and yeah. inquisitiveness? Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, and I think this might be a, a good place to sort of talk about that, you brought up boundaries. And I think that the closer you get to your child, the more your child can share things with you you maybe don't want to hear, or you know you need to do something with what they just shared with you. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, a, a core role of parenting is protecting. And, and providing a, a strong foundation for your kid to thrive, right? So boundaries are a huge part of that. Like if we just let our kids make all the decisions for themselves, how many cavities would they have? Like how obesity rates would be bigger and it wouldn't be well. Yeah, I would say you have to protect them from themselves sometimes because they're not quite ready to do that yet. They're Mm -hmm. impulse driven and desire driven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in my experience, you know, a really well-functioning, thriving home, um, family dynamic has clear expectations and clear boundaries. Kids know what's expected of them because it's talked about. Kids, when they start to approach crossing over a boundary, it's noted and it's addressed. And then if the kid self-corrects, great. You know that boundary's in place. And then if the boundaries just run over, then also there's clear consequences and anticipated consequences. That's important. You know, the, the, the way to protect your relationship is to have clear expectations, clear boundaries, and predictable consequences so that these things are all spelled out. Because what can happen if that's not in place is then parents, I've seen this once or twice, parents have a tendency to lay out consequences from an emotional place. (laughs) And that then can feel doubly punitive in the sense that uh, the behavior is being punished, but then the kid also as a person feels punished just by the, the heat of that emotions. And so having those clear boundaries and kind of a plan for what the consequences will be that the kid knows as well, then it puts responsibility on the kid. They're like, hey, you cross over the boundary, you know what's going to happen. You know, you don't, you don't get to drive the car for a week or whatever it is, you know, whatever that consequence might be. And, and that was the choice you made. And you knew that, that w- this would happen. Yeah. Right. And so the more that you can have that kind of um, clarity articulated, then the more that that contract and those expectations hold the accountability. And the parent's job is just to enforce it, just like gravity enforces our posture. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about just be very, very clear. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It takes a lot of the drama out of parenting to have that kind of clarity. And, you know, what I tell parents often is that emotions are not a parenting tool. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We often think that if our kids experience, a, you know, the fury of, of their impact on us, you know, and we just just let them know how angry we are in the moment, then that's going to be corrective. I don't see that working so well. Yeah. And that's not to say that you shouldn't let your kids know about their impact on you. Depending on the situation, that's very helpful because you, it's a real relationship. But when we're talking about really helping our kids develop that foundation that starts with a sense of trust and care and 
connection. There's ways that we can communicate the emotional impact that others have on us in ways that are still caring. When a parent chooses to reach out to somebody like you to get support and help, often it can be challenging to decide if what you're struggling with is a normal thing or if it's something I need to be concerned about. So I'm thinking of lying, for example, which obviously we don't want our kids running around the world lying all the time. But we also know developmentally that can be a normal stage that just needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself working with parents to understand the difference between this is a normal behavior and it becomes problematic when, boom, this happens. Yeah, a lot of that, actually. Yeah. And I wish I could say that there was just one rule here, but I'm, I'm a contextualist by, yeah. by training and by nature, I think. Yeah. So my answer is really yes, and we need to understand sort of what's happening in the context because something that might be normal for one kid might be very risky for another, depending on what kind of protective mechanisms they have on place, what kind of resources they have. For parents, it really comes back to continuing to relate to the kid and to whatever, if it's lying, let's say. You know, yeah, lying is a antisocial behavior, right? And it can serve many different functions, but ultimately it's a protective one. It's a protective function. And so for a parent, we can treat this as a discipline issue and we can just hand levy consequences for every lie. But if that's as far as we go, we've missed a real big opportunity to really sit down with our kid and provide an opportunity to build connection in the face of having made mistakes and to better understand what's happening that the kid feels they need to protect themselves. What's the threat? What's scary? So that as a parent then, if you can better understand what's happening, you can be a better resource to teach and to provide mentorship and guidance to that kid so that the behavior corrects not just on the surface because they're being compliant with punishments and rewards, but actually there's learning that's happening that's penetrating down into the psychology and the character of your kid because they actually have this sense of, okay, so here I made this big mistake and my parent walked me through this process where I got more insight into what the heck was happening and what different impacts might have been that I couldn't see because I'm just a kid. And all through that, they took that time because they cared about me even though I lied to them. Oh man, <laughs> right? Like it's a very different situation for a kid to be in and a very different learning opportunity for that kid than I lied and then my phone got taken away. and. My parents are really curt and stern with me. And that conversation didn't happen in a way that was curious and open and focused on a longer goal or a bigger goal than just correcting the behavior. It's focused on building character and fostering understanding. So each of these moments provides those opportunities. And I say that, and it's very easy to say, and it's very difficult to do when each of these moments happen countless times. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. But practice. And this is, yeah, and that's practice. the 80-20, yeah, right? yeah. do your best. And this practice. is another reason why parenting is so challenging, because it can feel like you're just banging your head against the same wall. and. Oh, man, and, and our kids can demonstrate that they're maturing. And then all of a sudden, under pressure or something happens, and then they're regressed like four years back. I thought, well, <laughs> right? And so you, you need to be able to pay attention to things like that. There's a powerful thing in what you said about looking at it like an opportunity instead of a problem. And I'm thinking about my own 
own life. And my response was, oh, I have an opportunity to be closer to them, dig into what's going on here versus just being upset. It's a totally different Mm -hmm. emotional response in every way. Yeah, for sure. Here's a piece on why parenting is challenging. If you think as a parent that you're done growing, that you are who you are and there's no two ways about it and you're going to be you as you are today throughout time, parenting is going to be even more challenging. Yeah. <laughs> like you need to have a growth mindset as a parent and to ask yourself those questions. Like I keep finding myself in the same situation, frustrated by the same thing again and again and again. What's happening for me? Yeah. And what's the opportunity here for me to grow through this trigger so that I can learn how to relate to the situation differently? So I can bring forward more of the qualities that I want to bring forward, whether that's kindness or humor or wisdom or patience or whatever that may be, because those aren't really available when we're triggered as heck. And this gets into a little bit of what you do when you work with parents around self-care and values and some of the other core principles of your practice. Yeah, this online parenting program that I've developed, one of my favorite sections of it is the Grow Yourself. And I reference it often in the nurturing your relationship section where we're talking about communication skills. You know, you can have the best communication skills in the world, but if you're emotionally triggered in what we call your downstairs brain, then you're not going to be able to access the skills required for flexible connecting communication. And so you need to work on developing your own distress tolerance, your own ability to regulate your emotions and to work on identifying and intervening on your own triggers so that you can stay more flexible and more free in talking with your kid. What else would you say about what do parents need to do to take care of themselves? Mm. Um, Live a full and rich life. (laughs) (laughs) I say that in in humor, but actually not, because it it is important that we fill our own wells, that as our kids are stepping more into their life, our role as parents shifts, and we kind of get a little bit more time to ourselves, perhaps, and it's important to connect with your own vitality and to have, have a life as an individual. And as a as a partner, if you're if you're partnered, and with friends, and have your social life, so that when your kids doing their thing, doing their adolescent sophomoric behaviors, it's not all the bandwidth that you're giving in your minds, in your emotional body. It's also important to recognize those moments when we are triggered, or if we're, particularly if we're in a difficult dynamic with our kid, we need to repair and recover from the emotional strain that those encounters have on us, because they can really great on our sense of confidence and competence, which can then kind of undermine a sense of emotional well-being. So how do we come back to a sense of ourself that that is centered and connected with those values that we want to be driving us forward? And, you know, those values are yours to choose. So self-care practices, whether that's exercise, um, socializing, uh, meditation, seeing a therapist, having a good friend, um, art, you know, any number of things can be ways that we find paths back to that more resourced self. And it's also important that, you know, if the dynamics in your family are are kind of ingrained and you find yourself going back and like, ah, here again, getting curious about your own triggers and about what's happening for you that is triggering those threat systems, the the fear response or the the fight response because there's something scary that you're responding to and that might be something like I'm afraid that my kid is never going to stand on their own I'm afraid I'm going to need to be there forever I'm afraid they're not going to have friends so identifying in you what the big 
big bad fear is that may be giving so much energy to a fight or flight response in you as a parent can be really helpful so that you can bring it forward and do your work on it on your side. There was a point when you were talking about angsty kids and I was thinking, I hear parents say, my child says the most hurtful, mean things to me and they do take it on. I mean, it actually Mm -hmm. affects their sense of self, their Mm -hmm. ability to even want to spend time with their child and it's painful. It's really painful and kids, I don't think, recognize the effect they're having on their parent because they're so consumed with themselves, but it's painful. How do you help a parent through that? I mean, I'd say first to just listen and receive that, like just to normalize it. That does hurt, right? This is the person you've invested so much in. Um, And ultimately, I'd be working to help them develop capacity to to be able to reflect to their kid some of that impact. And they're going to have to get curious and, and get experimental to find out how they can communicate with their kid in a way that's going to be more effective in terms of just just the kid can at least acknowledge or at least hear for a moment that they're, it's causing pain, right? Setting some boundaries and acknowledging like, you know, really what's appropriate and what's inappropriate and having some clear consequences. This could be a place for that, depending on how severe and how regular it is. I'm working with a, a family right now there's just such a toxic dynamic that once the emotions start to escalate beyond you know a certain level then it's off to the races and nothing good happens it's really abuse from the kid to the parent at that point and it's been established for so long that it's a dynamic that's so long-standing they need to call time out they need to be able to they have rules in place that like okay we're we're at red i've got to hang up now it depends on sort of what the context is but really helping the kid develop that perspective to recognize that what they say has impact and what they say matters and that it's hard to be close with somebody when that level of disrespect is so uh, prevalent so rampant and i think especially as they get older it's totally appropriate to say the way you're speaking to me right now is really hurtful Mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah it's just basic consequencing (laughs) you're like i'm not willing to be in a relationship where i'm spoken to this way i'm willing to stay in relationship with you and there needs to be some respect. Can we just agree to treat each other with more respect? When you have a child that is using, let's just say, a hard drug, for example, and you really are truly scared to death that your child could end up addicted in treatment, yeah. it's um, it's a terrifying experience. And the lack of control you have as a parent, I think, is one of the things that brings that fear in, and one of the reasons that you have to you have to work on you, and you have to work on how are you going to take care of yourself in this, because you yeah. can support the child through. This and you can create structure and you can provide resources, but ultimately you can't choose for them. Yeah. And I think that's a really important piece. And I think it's a difficult transition for parents to make. Yeah. Oh, I think it, it can be one of the most difficult transitions for yeah. a parent to make, for sure, depending on what's what's happening and how high the stakes are. As they get older, we have to move into that more coaching role, but we're not used to doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it can sometimes even be a moment when you're like, wow, this isn't working anymore. <laughs> You know, and I have to do mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. Yeah, and that can be profoundly anxiety-provoking when you actually realize that. Or that realization is knocking on their door, perhaps. <laughs> you haven't quite opened it. Yeah, and that's a necessary step developmentally is that letting your kids go and, and recognizing you don't have control because they are taking control. And they will take control. Or they'll fight for control if it's not given. Uh-huh. And, and they need to take that wheel of their life. And better as soon as they are able. 
And, may, and sometimes that's even before they look maybe like they're able. Because I would much rather have kids making some early mistakes about self-assessment and, and self-direction while they're still living at home. Because so often what happens is, you know, with kids that I see showing up who are, you know, the sort of the young adult, if we don't give our kids more autonomy in those high school years and we continue to, to engage with them with that sort of illusion that we have control, then what happens is they, you know, they graduate high school and then they go off to the next thing, whether that's work or they maybe go to college and they don't know how to do much of anything for themselves and that is profoundly corrosive to their sense of self-esteem self-worth agency then there could be any number of side effects from that you know whether it's falling out in school medicating with substances holding up as we talk about this period of life where kids are actually launching into the next stage after high school whatever that looks like there's some unique challenges to that that are very different than raising a teenager or a high schooler. What would you say some of those challenges are? Well, I think it's important to keep in mind that at that point, your job as a parent is to support your kid learning how to do for themselves more and more and more and more. And so putting the problems back to your kid and being a resource to help them troubleshoot or do their own problem solving, but you shouldn't be solving their problems anymore. You shouldn't be doing for. And of course, I say that there's an asterisk on that, <laughs> that yeah. sometimes kids are, are delayed developmentally and they, they might be 20 years old but they still have certain um, deficits that require some training before they can really take on you know their own life in certain ways but really parenting for that successful launch you really want to be as hands-off as you can be while maintaining that sort of warm open connection that they still want you in their corner they still need your emotional support they, they may still really want your accolades of like oh my gosh that's an amazing what a great paper cool topic and all that they might not they might feel totally allergic to that who knows (laughs) but really stepping back and starting to see your kid as an adult and working to to shift the dynamic so that your kid has room to grow into a more eye-to-eye relationship, more peership. And they know they can call on you when they actually really need you because you have that foundation. Yeah, and that they have something to offer too, right? That's going to be important mm-hmm. that as they step out and start looking at um, themselves as more of a, of a budding adult and looking out into the world, they need to know that they have something to offer in this mm-hmm. world of value. Right? And even in the family, that they can yeah. make a contribution. So, so stepping back and shifting so that you're able to receive your kid as an adult with their own opinions, their own point of view, with their own strengths. And yes, you know, with those long-standing deficits <laughs> and vulnerabilities that you may know w- very well and working to really help them see themselves in that light can be powerfully fortifying as they step into the world. You are a parent for life. For life. Yeah. Just to speak on the positive side of it, having an adult relationship with the person that you've raised can be a pretty amazing experience. And yeah. I can see it when, when there's that shift that happens and I sort of can see that the see the parent actually start to relate to the kid like they actually genuinely respect and are interested in what that kid has to say and it's like there's this moment where the kid's like oh really and then there's this way that like so much more of them comes forward and then it's palpable like the strength of the connection that can be made when when that actually happens yeah it's it's really those are moments that i fill my heart it's like, this is why I do this. Sometimes it can take a while to find that connection, but persistence and continuing mm-hmm. to show you care and being involved in 
interested in them. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great resource to just consider that you're in this relationship for life, right? Like the shenanigans or the scary moments of adolescence, you'll get through it. I've seen circuitous paths that have balanced on the edge of a cliff and then come back around and have amazing relationships and kids who looked like they were destined for institutions come back and thrive and really demonstrate creativity and resilience that nobody could have predicted. And so I'm fortified with those years of experience of seeing how well kids can make their ways. And so that fortifies me as a parent and as a coach and a therapist. And I I want others to take comfort in that as well. Is there anything that you would want to leave parents with or something that I haven't asked you today that you want to share? Your kids need you. Despite what they may say or how they may act or what they might tell you, they, there's still a genuine need for your care and your curiosity and your attention and your, your positive regard in their life. That is, that is a deep need, even for the most prickly, rebellious, <laughs> punk teen. They still are, have a part of themselves that is really just looking and asking do you care? Am I lovable? Looking beyond some of that prickly behavior and just yeah. sticking with them. And just loving them despite. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we go, I want you to share a little bit more about your Wise Roots Parenting online course or courses. Yeah, so I created Wise Roots Parenting as a resource for parents of teens and young adults who are in treatment themselves. Knowing that this is a challenging time and that parents are struggling to find some resources, find some strength, find some guidance, and find some comfort and normalization of their problems. I wanted to create an easy to access resource that parents could find online on their phones to get the skills and information that are really the best practices in parenting for successful launch. So Wise Roots Parenting is a, an online curriculum of mostly two to 10 minute videos. And we have about 60 of those organized into four courses. There's the seven guiding principles in our introduction, understanding your kid, nurturing your relationship, and growing yourself. So you can access it online at www.wiserootsparenting.com. I'd encourage you to check it out and reach out to me if you have any questions. My information is on that website. Awesome. Thank you. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure having you with us and on our podcast. I look forward to seeing how Wise Roots Parenting grows and how we can continue to serve parents. Thanks, Shelley. I appreciate the work that you're doing and Penn is doing, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. We want to thank Radio 1190 for letting us use their space. If you like what you heard today and want to become a sponsor or make a donation, you can find us at PennBV.org. That's P-E-N-B-V. We hope today's conversation has added to your parenting well. Having a well of resources leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered to support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, and you've been listening to Parenting Well Podcast. Until next time, happy parenting.